Okay, well, so this is our last week. This, this week's sermon is kind of a conglomeration of a bunch of different things. We're going to be capping off the series. I asked in workplace last week if anyone had questions about prayer you'd like me to try to answer, so I'm going to be working those in. And so we've got a lot of things that we're going to be trying to cram into our one sermon this morning, so bear with me as we get through that. Dr. Helen Rosevere, missionary to Zaire, told the following story. A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a a hot water bottle today. Please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And, dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as they opened it. Much to their surprise, under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper in the box, exclaiming, If God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's sincere request, and five months earlier, he had led a ladies' group to include both of these specific articles in the package they sent the orphanage. I want to contrast two stories out of Scripture this morning, one from Acts chapter 12 and one from Luke chapter 7. Probably fairly familiar with both, both of these stories, but I want to look at them maybe from a little bit different point of view. So Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, and Luke chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to both of those. If you don't, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and uh, and follow along for free. Acts chapter 12, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So Peter's being guarded by 16 soldiers, and Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to him. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Clarify, clarify there. Praying to God for him, not praying to Peter. Praying to God for Peter. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then if you know the rest of the story, he he was with the church. This is different than Paul, right? Luke chapter 7, we'll stop there with that story. Luke chapter 7, verse 6, says, He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him. This is Jesus, who's not far from the house. 
So Jesus is traveling around in his ministry, and he's not from the, far from the house that he was going to to minister. To, uh, and the centurion sent friends to him and said, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Now the centurion was, was, not, a, was not a Jew. He was not a, not a, a, a Jewish believer. But the Jews had seen that he had supported so much of the ministry of the Jews and helped them build the synagogue in their town. And when Jesus came to their town, he said, this man needs you to come heal his daughter, and he deserves for his daughter to be healed. So they were taking Jesus right to this man's house. But before Jesus arrives at the house, the centurion says, don't come. Don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. All right, what are the similarities in these two stories? If you, if you notice anything similar, go ahead and shout it out, and, uh, and let's see if we can look at the contrast between Acts 12 and Luke chapter 7. What are the similarities? when I need my sound effects so I can play it a little. What? Great faith was shown. Good. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Doreen. What else do you notice is similar between these two stories? They were leaders? Yep. Yeah. They proceeded as if the prayer was already answered. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. They were both. They were both distance prayers, right? We would call them intercessory prayers in a, in a sense. What's the difference between the two stories? What stands out as something that's different between the story of the centurion and the story of Peter? Outcomes were different because they were different requests, yeah. One was Gentile, one was Jew. Well, 
Right, the centurion didn't actually say a prayer. And the church was praying for Peter. Anything else you notice that's similar? Well, one thing that stands out to me that is that's similar that I want to draw draw our attention to um, is is yes that 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 the answer was given from a distance. But I think one of the things that we do is when we're looking at the life of Christ, we see well Jesus was there, so of course these things happened, right? I mean, so Jesus is walking; he's physically walking on the earth, and so we say, well, because Jesus was physically there and he was present on the earth, well, that's why all of these miracles happened. That's why everything that happened during the life of Christ happened was because Jesus was there. But then, when you go to the New Testament and you look at the early church, you see a lot of other miracles, a lot of things that happened in the early church, but Jesus wasn't physically there. So one, one of the things that I think is very similar that we often overlook from the life of Christ to after Jesus ascended and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of believers is that the, the similarity is Jesus is still present. Right? So Jesus is present in us who believe. For, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we believe that the, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, and that's how the disciples knew that it was the right Spirit, was because Jesus had said, you will know it's the right Spirit because you've been with me and it's my Spirit. And so Jesus sent his Spirit to be in the disciples. So we should know that we have the Spirit of Christ walking with us. So it's not like we, th- we often think, where, where God is, you know, just off in the eternal distance, and he's just, he's way out there, and he's totally, entirely removed from where we are in life right now. He's totally m- removed from everything that's going on, and he's just sitting up there on his throne, and he has no clue what's happening. It's more like, with Jesus and the centurion and his disciples, is that Jesus is present in our life today, and because he is present, then when we pray to him, it is no different than if Jesus were walking here with us in bodily form. It feels different because we don't see a, a person, but, but it is a reality of God's kingdom that Jesus is present in spirit. One of the other things I want to, I want to, to note is that oftentimes, God prompts people to do things before the person who is going to receive the benefits of it even knows they have a need, like we saw in the illustration. Five months before, this is, this, that story was from way back. It was before Amazon Prime, right? You couldn't just, you know, now if we, if we wanted to send something to an orphanage in London, we get on Amazon and have it drop shipped there and it'd be there by tomorrow if we wanted it to be. This, that didn't happen. And this time, you had to plan, right? So you had, you had churches and, and, and missionary groups, missionary societies in groups. And we had some of these at our church growing up. And a bunch of women usually would gather around and make quilts. And then they'd send, send these to orphanages and other places around the world. But you would have to be prompted by God months in advance to include things that would be needed at this moment, right? That's one of the miraculous things about that story. I don't know if you've ever been woken up in the middle of the night to pray for someone, but I have, and, and, and you don't know why it happens, but, but sometimes God will wake us up to pray for someone. God may have woken up the church to pray for Peter when he was in prison. Oftentimes, God prompts us to pray for things and even do things before others even know they have a need. 
And then the moment that we express our needs to God, God has already been moving somebody to be prepared to respond. In its early days, Dallas Theological Seminary was in critical need of $10,000 to keep the work going. During a prayer meeting, renowned Bible teacher Harry Ironside, a lecturer at the school, prayed, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Please sell some of those cattle to help us meet this need. Shortly after the prayer meeting, a check for $10,000 arrived at the school, sent days earlier by a friend who had no idea of the urgent need or of Ironside's prayer. The man simply said the money came from the sale of some of his cattle. God may prompt you to do something and it's going to be the answer to a prayer that you don't even know is being prayed. And at the same time, you may have a need in your life. You may be praying for God to to intervene in a situation and he's already been at work in somebody else in another believer's life prompting them to work to answer your prayer that you haven't even prayed yet. God works in miraculous ways, and prayer is such a gift. And that's one of the things I hope we've discovered over the course of this series is that prayer is really a great gift to us from God. It's an opportunity for us to connect with the eternal, to, to step outside of the time, space, you know, dimensions that we're trapped by here on earth and see that there's a God who has a perspective in an entirely different realm than we are in who's able to intervene in this realm in ways we can't even imagine. I want to look really quickly at some types of prayer that we haven't really covered in this series. There, there's the acronym. We have the, uh, I don't know if anyone is familiar with this. Anyone know the ACTS acronym for prayer? Can you shout off what those names are? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Yeah. What does supplication mean? Requests. Yeah, that's a fancy church word for asking something from God. In case you don't know, you can Google it, and that's what it says. It's asking earnestly for God to do something. So that's a great starting point. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We should start with worshiping God like we do here. We often want to start with worship and praise and confession, confessing our sins to God. Scripture also talks about confessing our sins to one another. Thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for. And often, you know, it may be good to do those things before we start asking God to give us what we want. There's another form of prayer, though, that we, that we haven't covered, that, we, that is called intercessory prayer, and, and some of what we've looked at here scripturally. Right? I, the, the Jews didn't know that they were interceding on behalf of the centurion, but they were. They were, they were interceding, they were going to Jesus and saying, we need you to heal this man's servant. And one of the things that we can do as believers is we actually have the ability and the privilege of talking to God. Not everyone has that ability. Those who don't believe do not yet have the ability to speak to God. That might be a little bit controversial, but, uh, but Scripture teaches that, that we can pray for them. We can intercede. We can go to God on their behalf, but God listens to his children, to, his, to those who believe in him. 
So one of the things that I think we have a responsibility to do as followers of Jesus Christ is to intercede on behalf of those who don't believe, to intercede on behalf of an unbelieving society and an unbelieving world that we live in, also to intercede on behalf of other believers as, as, they, as they are going about their daily lives. You can see this exemplified several times in Paul's introductory statements to some of his letters, Second Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, you also joining in helping us through your prayers. So he's writing a letter from a distance and saying that you're helping our ministry through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So Paul is acknowledging that the prayers of the church that is spread out all across Europe at this point in time, that, that he's trying to, to minister to, to a lot of the Gentile church, that, that those believers are supporting the ministry of Paul as he travels around and evangelizes and builds church. Philippians chapter 1, Paul also says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul, at this point in his ministry, is in chains. And he's, pr- he's writing a letter to the church while he's in prison, and he says that I know that this is going to turn out to, for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit. Then in his letter to Timothy, who, who's kind of the head elder of the church at Ephesus, that Paul has been training and mentoring, he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So Paul urges that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And the people that he lists are kings and all those in authority. That's one of the reasons we talk about why it's important for us to pray for our leaders, the leaders of our government. We should be praying for our local governmental leaders, pray for our state leaders, pray for our national leaders. We need to pray for all of our leaders who are in authority over us. And one of the reasons that Paul says we should do this is that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So for Paul, there's some connection to praying for those in authority over us and our ability as believers to live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. He says this is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants to use his church to reach all people, everyone who will believe. God wants them to have the opportunity to believe. Do we intercede on behalf of our leaders? We don't agree with them on a lot of things. We have no problem calling them out with the things we don't agree with them on. Do we pray for them? Do we intercede? Do we ask for God to bless them, to give them wisdom, to lead them, to guide them, to help them go in the way that honors him and, and honors his kingdom and away from those things that, that, are, that are separate from those? Or is it just too easy to be critical? I myself am quite critical of our leaders at times. And I don't pray enough for our leaders. I need to do a better job. But we don't just need to pray for our governmental leaders. We need to pray for our church leaders, those who have any kind of authority over us. 
I need you to pray for me. We need to pray for our elders. We need to pray for the deacons and deaconesses that will arise in our church in the, in the weeks and months and years to come. I really covet your prayers as, as your pastor. And I don't, I don't know how much uh, you pray for me. Hopefully some of you pray for me once in a while. But I would love it if, you, if we had a group of people that just committed to praying for me regularly. Dr. Wilbur Chapman often told of his experience when, as a young man, he went to become the pastor of a church in Philadelphia. After his first sermon, an old gentleman said to him, You're pretty young to be a pastor of this church, but you preach the gospel, and I'm going to help you all I can. Dr. Chapman thought, Here's a crank. But the man continued, I'm going to pray that you may have the Holy Spirit's power upon you. Two others have covenanted to join with me in prayer for you, Dr. Chapman said. And I didn't feel so bad when I learned that he was going to pray for me. The three became ten, the ten became twenty, twenty became fifty, the fifty became two hundred, who met before every single service to pray that the Holy Spirit might come upon me. I always went into my pulpit feeling that I would have the anointing in answer to the prayers of those who had faithfully prayed for me. It was a joy to preach. The result was that we received 1,100 into our church by conversion in three years, 600 of whom were men. It was the fruit of the Holy Spirit in answer to prayer. I remember growing up, we would always gather around the pastor and pray for the pastor in his study, in the pastor's study. I remember exactly where it was situated. The, you know, his study was, there's the stage, and then there was this little room outside the stage, and his, he had a door from, from uh, that room into his office, and you could go down the hall if you wanted. But I just I remember so many of the church leaders, lay leaders of the church going in there, and this was Wesleyan church that I grew up in, and I've explained how we often prayed out loud as a group, and it was the pilgrim holiness tradition, which might feel a little bit more Pentecostal, but everyone prayed out loud, and a lot of times they were very passionate prayers, and so all the men would gather around the pastor and pray out loud for him before he would go out and give the sermon. You can see this taught in Ephesians 1, verse 15 and 17 through 17, Hebrews 13, 18, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. So if you'd like to look more into the idea of praying for your leaders, your spiritual leaders, go look at Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 17, Hebrews 13, verse 18, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. So we need to be praying for our elders, for our deacons and deaconesses and other ministry leaders in the church. And that would be an intercessory prayer, going to God on behalf of someone else. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which is where most of us spend most of our time petitioning God to give us what we want, and then intercession. Some other biblical notes I want to give you on prayer before we move on to the questions that some of you asked. We're supposed to pray without ceasing, and last week we talked briefly about that, the idea of praying without ceasing. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It's also in Luke chapter 21, verse 36, when Jesus is talking about being prepared for the, for the end of the age and, and all the things that are going to come at the end. And a lot of people feel like we're at the end. Well, Jesus, in the middle of his sermon on that, said to pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. So we're supposed to be continually praying. 
And right now, probably more than ever, we should be continually praying. If we really believe the end is near, as a lot of Christians do, then we should pray continually. You can go look at Brother Lawrence's little work on practicing the presence of God if you'd like more information on that. But God also responds when we pray in unity. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. We're going to be doing that next week and in our service. We're going to be praying together in unity around some things. And God wants us to pray as one body, lifting up one voice of prayer to God. This, you know, he gives this description in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, how we are the body of Christ. And we all come together to form one body. And a part of that, that church body responsibility is for us to offer up prayers to God and to worship God. And then, as we teach here so regularly, walking with God... We're supposed to walk, with, walk humbly with God. We want to walk where God leads us. We don't want to make him try to follow us where we want to go, but we walk humbly with God day in and day out, and we can converse with God as he is walking with us and his presence with, is with us. I have a little acronym to help you understand the Lord's Prayer. If you'd like to know what that is, I can give that to you after the service. It's goals and ball. Before we, before we get the ball, we need the right goals. I can explain that to you later or give you a handout. Email you a handout if you'd like that. But when we're praying, this is William Barclay, he says, we need to remember the love of God that wants the best for us. We need to remember the wisdom of God that knows what is best for us and the power of God that can accomplish what is best for us. When we pray, we need to remember... The love of God that wants the best for us. Remember, God wants his best for you. He wants to give you his Christ-like life. And, and he wants to empower us to live out that life. And that is what he wants for us on this earth. So he wants the best for us. We need to remember that the, the, the wisdom of God that knows what is best for us. Sometimes what we want is not what God knows we need. And we need to remember God is all-powerful. And he can accomplish his best in us. All right, so those are some types of prayer that we didn't cover in this series. So this is kind of like four little mini sermons in one. I apologize if it feels like I'm dumping everything on you, but you can go back and listen to this later on Facebook if you if you want to track any of this down. I don't know if anyone has any questions that you'd like to ask about prayer, you can go ahead and type them in on Facebook. If you're here in the room and you're not on Facebook, you can just raise your hand at any point during this next section and I'll do my best to answer them. I don't know everything there is to know about prayer, so I'll, I'm not guaranteeing I can answer your questions, but you're free to ask them and you can write them on Facebook. But let me address some that came in this week uh, through our church community. One was the idea of praying from the heart. Not just praying empty words. I think this is one thing that we, we need to really remind ourselves is that, that prayer is not reciting incantations, right? There, there aren't any magic words that we can pray and just repeat over and over and hope that God is going to give us what we want. A lot of us, I think, in our society, our Christian society today, treat prayer this way. It's like, okay, I just need to know the right formula to pray so that when I pray, I get what I want. So, so tell me the formula. Lay it all out for me so that I pray in the exact way that I want to pray, that I need to pray so I can get my needs. Well, that's not the point of prayer. John Bunyan says, when thou prayest, I don't use nearly enough old English. When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without heart. 
It's better to let your heart be without words than to, have, than to pray words that aren't coming from your heart. Praying from the heart. Your heart is, is where your emotions and your desires come from. And, and God really wants to radically transform our hearts so that they are hearts of flesh that are passionately pursuing worship and adoration and exaltation of God to the highest place at, at all times in our lives. Right now, for, for many of us, our hearts are just passionately seeking after our own desires. And God wants us to go from seeking our own selfish desires and dying to those and embracing the desires of Christ. So to pray from the heart, we actually have to die to ourselves. A question that came in says, What are some examples of things we should be fasting and praying about? Is that a regular discipline we should be practicing? Are there examples of how long a fast should be? I happen to think we should fast regularly, maybe, maybe not weekly, but you know, once a month would be good to, to fast, or at least a couple times of ye- a year to do a fast. Um, but it's not, we don't fast for the wrong reasons. One of, uh, one of the things that Jesus says, when you fast, that, that you're supposed to make it look like you're not fasting. That's essentially what he's teaching. He says, when you fast, you're supposed to anoint your head with oil. You're supposed to do things to your physical appearance to make it clear to everyone around you that you're not fasting. We don't draw attention to ourselves because we're fasting. We are supposed to be dedicating our lives to Christ during those times. And so as Mark says in the book, he says, take the time that you would have been eating and spend that time in prayer. I think one of the reasons to fast, which isn't listed in Scripture, is what I was just talking about. It's about denying the urges of the flesh and denying ourselves what we want. You know, if you deny your stomach, which in Scripture is synonymous with desire, especially throughout the Old Testament, you can see that hunger is synonymous with sin almost, almost all the time in, in the Old Testament. That we're supposed to take that thing that, that kind of leads us in the direction of sinning and away from God and deny that so that our spirits are hungry for God and we, we satisfy our spirit with the presence of God. Biblically speaking, there are some specific reasons that we see people fasted. There aren't really a whole lot of prescriptions, especially in the New Testament. You can see some prescriptions for fasts in the Old Testament, but most of those would have to do with the Torah, and we don't, we don't uh, live out a lot of that as New Testament, uh, New Covenant believers. But some reasons we see are preparing for ministry. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 14. Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he fasts as he's preparing for his public ministry. So when we are preparing for ministry of some kind, it might be good for us to fast. Like on, on the Friday before our priester, our Easter egg hunt, it might be good for us to fast leading up to that moment where we're going to minister to the community outside of the church. Another reason to fast, Acts chapter 14, 23, is if we're seeking wisdom, if we need wisdom on a situation, it's great to fast and, and seek God to give us wisdom in that situation. We see our early church leaders doing that in Acts 14. If we need deliverance or protection, is a good time to fast. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 through 23. Repentance. Some of us really need to repent of, of a sin, but yet we still like that sin too much. We, we want to hold on to it. And, and something that we need to do is we need to fast as we repent. And you can see an example of that from Jonah in chapter 3, verse 10. And if we're seeking victory, if we need God to give us victory in some area of life, 
Israel did this as well in Judges chapter 20, verse 26. So those are some examples of when to fast. April says, we need to be humble in our fast, question mark, yes. We need to be humble in the way we fast. We aren't, we aren't doing it for attention. Another question on prayer journals. You know we're advocates of journaling here and, uh, and, and journaling your prayers and your Bible study and all of those things. It says, in, in, my, in the past, my journal has become kind of a long un, and unmanageable and, and felt not very organic in terms of praying for the things God puts on my heart. I get having items written down so you can see when and how God answers, but how do you keep it from being a big, long list you recite off? So here's how I do it, and I'm not a great journaler. I'm still working at this. Um, but, the, but this actually comes from my wife, who, who uh, shared with us how she organized her journal for years, and she got one of those five-subject uh, notebooks. So what I do is I, I have my requests that I'm keeping track of, that I'm praying for God to answer in a different section, and I just keep a running list of those. But then I have in my other section the journal. And, and, and in that journal, it's more of a conversation between me and God. I'm trying to express to God how I'm feeling about some of the things that I'm going through that day. And I might follow the Acts model that we've talked about here, you know, where I, I'm writing down words of adoration, writing down confessions, writing down things that I'm thankful for before I get into asking God to give me something. And so I, I, I will oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes, Spend some time in writing those thoughts out before I just jump into asking God to give me the things that I'm asking Him to do in my life. So I think that's one thing that we can do. And I, but at the same time, be honest with God. There's no reason to hide your to hide your feelings. I mean, no one's ever going to read your journal. If anyone ever reads your journal, well, then that's on them, not on you. But be honest with God and express those and get those out of you. Know, a lot of times we kind of carry things deeply. And we carry them around for a long time, and we don't need to carry them, and writing them out is a great way to get them out of our lives. If you want, have more questions on journals, I have a lot of ideas, a lot of things we've tried over the years that, that we can put into practice. Dave says, I'm not a kneeler. I don't fold my hands. I don't always close my eyes when I pray. I seem to do quick prayers throughout my day. I tend to do a longer prayer at bedtime. I've always wondered if I'm doing it wrong. My prayers are sincere, but I want to do it correctly. That's a great question at a great time, right before I get into this last question. Like I said, I, I think we really get, and I think it's a, maybe an enlightenment thing, it's an American thing. We really want to know, we want to know the formula for prayer. We, we want to be sure that we're doing prayer right. But one of the things that, that I've learned at, you know, reading through a lot of the Old Testament is that sometimes there are formulas that, that some of the people follow reading in the Old Testament. Other times there's no formula at all. They're just, they're just dumping out their soul to God and crying out to God with whatever it is that they're going through. And I think instead of letting a formula keep us from praying because we're worried we're going to mess it up and not pray in the right way, just pray. And spend some time in a relationship with God because that is what he really wants. We'll get to that in just a second. The last question, and I don't know if I have a good answer to this question, it says, if God is omniscient and has predestined everything, why pray? If God is omniscient, and he is, if God knows everything, 
If God has predestined everything, and that is one thing that Scripture teaches is predestination. You, you might disagree with, how, with what predestination means scripturally, but it is pre, uh, predestination is in Scripture, so we can't take it out. How should, why should we pray? Now, one of the things that, that I'll explain here is that from God's vantage point, everything is predetermined because he exists outside of space and time. So the very first point of human history to the very last point of human history, God sees it all the same because he is omniscient. He, he is not confined in the same ways that we are. But at the same time, we human beings are confined by time and space. We cannot see all of eternity. We do not have God's perspective. And so we do not have the privilege of knowing what God is and isn't going to do, we do not have the privilege of knowing what is his will and what isn't his will in a lot of situations. What I believe God wants most from us is worship and relationship. I think a lot of times what God really desires is, is, is for us to know him more, for us to be willing to do whatever it takes to know him more and to worship him with our lives. As we've said so many times, prayer is not primarily a means of getting things from God. That is not prayer's primary purpose. Prayer is primarily about worship and relationship. So one of the first reasons I think that we should pray in response to this question is because God responds to prayer. This is something that the Scripture shows and exemplifies time and time and time and time and time again, is that when God's people pray, God responds. So, from Moses to the apostles, there are things that only happened because God's people prayed. You can say, well, well, but you know, if those things were supposed to happen, then those things would happen regardless of whether or not those people prayed. Well, God wants us to pray, and so he responds to our prayers. Second, saying that we don't need to pray because God has predestined everything is as ridiculous as saying we don't need to take medicine, we don't need to go to work, we don't need to look for a spouse. In fact, we don't need to have any pursuit at all in life because God will bring those things to us if we're supposed to have them. Now, there are people that live their lives this way. They go to a logical extreme. We'll say, well, God has predestined everything, so there's no point for me to even attempt to do anything because anything that God wants me to have in life, he's going to bring to me, and I can't get anything that God doesn't want me to have in my life, so I might as well not do anything and just wait for God to bring it. What do you think about that one? Before I say anything else. God wants us to be moving and then he directs our path. That's good. Yeah. We make our plans, but God directs our steps. Dave says, that would be like we're already married, so why talk to each other? Ryland says, pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. Predestination is a challenging topic. It's confusing. It's hard for us to understand. 
But predestination is not a reason not to be active in life. God's providence is nearly always in response to prayer. God's providence is nearly always in response to prayer. God rarely works apart from the involvement of his people. He wants to work in cooperation with his people, with his children. So, so God wants to, God has chosen throughout nearly all of human history, with a few rare exceptions, but throughout nearly all of our history, from all the way back to Jesus and all the way back to the very beginning in the garden, God has nearly always chosen to work through people. Even some of the biggest things, like Moses, he chose to work through Moses in bringing, you know, bringing about the, the freedom of Israel. God wants to work through people. And so we pray, even though God knows how everything's going to work out and, and, and how you know, he's predestined everything, we pray because God wants to work his solution to those things through us, his children. God wants to use you to answer the prayers in other people's lives, and he wants to do this so that his light of his kingdom might shine brightly into their life, and they may be drawn to the light of, of, of Christ through you and be drawn into the kingdom. There's a lot more to it than that. The last question that came in, and this will transition us unless anyone else has any questions. Any questions about prayer? Anybody has? I'm not going to ask it. I don't want your answer. I'm not an expert on prayer. It's just this, this is just uh, what I've learned up to this point in my life. So there may be better answers than these. The last question that came in was, how come the seemingly easiest discipline can be so challenging and the one so least done in the church? It's a great question. Prayer really is easy, right? There's almost nothing easier we can do in our, in our Christian life than pray. I mean, I can be, I can be walking you know, down the street and in, and in pursuit of something, and I can be praying at that time. I can be praying while I'm driving. I can be praying while I'm having a conversation with you. I can be praying at all times. It's the easiest thing to do. Why don't we do it? Why don't we pray? Why don't you pray? Think about that for, for a second. What keeps you from praying? I have a few thoughts why we don't pray. First is, we think we can do things on our own. Or, worse, we want the credit for having done it on our own. We think we can, we can accomplish what needs to be accomplished in our lives in our own power and our own strength, so why ask for God? And at the same time, we want to be able to take the credit for having accomplished the things. We want to be able to say, look what I did, as opposed to look what God did. A.C. Dixon writes, when we rely upon organization... We get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. Nor am I disposed to undervalue any of these things in their proper place. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. There's nothing wrong with organization, education, eloquence, you know, teaching, preaching, and all of these things that we do so regularly. But prayer puts us in a position where we're relying on God. The second reason I think we don't pray is that we see prayer as a way to get what we want from God instead of as a way to know God. We see prayer as a way to get what we want from God instead of knowing God. 
E.M. Bounds, in his book, The Weapon of Prayer, says, The central significance of prayer is not in the things that happen as a result, but in the deepening intimacy and unhurried communion with God at his central throne of control in order to discover a sense of God's need in order to call on God's help to meet that need. So in a sense, the things that we feel like we desperately need in life have a purpose. The the things that we feel like at times God might be holding back from us actually have a purpose in drawing us deeper into relationship with God so that we might be more intimate in our relationship with God and have what Bound says is unhurried communion. When was the last time you had unhurried communion with God? The third reason I think we often don't pray is God hasn't answered our prayers yet. So we stop praying. There are some prayers I've been praying in my life for years, maybe even decades, that God hasn't answered yet. And we feel like when we go through really long seasons that we're, we're not getting the answers to prayer. And it's not even a no, right? It's not a yes or a no. It's just we're not getting any kind of answer. I, I might be okay sometimes if God would just say no and I could move on. But sometimes there are things that that, that God puts in our lives, and and the reason that he puts them there is not so that he can necessarily answer them, but so that we can pursue him in the midst of those. And we talked about this with the persistent widow and how Jesus told that story so that we might understand how to persist in prayer. The last reason I think we don't pray, in America especially, is we don't have very many felt needs, so we think we don't need to pray. We're really blessed in America. I know we've gone through a lot this year, and it feels like a lot has been taken away from us, and, and you know, we, we've lost a, a, a whole year of our lives going through this pandemic, and it just, it just feels like you know, a lot of things have just gone that, that we used to really love. But really, we, we're still a really blessed people. We, we have so much to be thankful for. To be honest... Most of us in this room probably don't really have very many felt needs. When it comes to the things that we need in life, in general, we're able to provide those for ourselves without really needing intervention from God. So we don't think we need to pray because we're doing okay. And I think this ties us back into fasting. And one of the reasons fasting is so good for us is it, is it reminds us that just because we are satiated, satiated in life doesn't mean that our souls are satisfied in God, right? Just because, just because we've got everything and we can order anything we want on Amazon and have it here in, in, in two days or in one day if you live close enough to a shipping facility, right? I mean, just because we have this like on-demand society that gives us everything we want at the drop of a hat does not mean that our souls are still not crying out desperate for more of God's presence. But because we don't have any felt needs, we don't think that we need to pray. Why don't you pray? If you want to answer that, I'd love some vulnerability and some transparency this morning if anyone wants to share. What are some reasons that you don't pray that I haven't listed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so wondering if God is going to answer. 
praying for healing or something, and then, and then how's it going to look if God doesn't answer for that prayer for healing? Always asking. Always asking, and it feels like at some point we should do something, you know, in return. And that's part of our, you know, part of our upbringing. You know, a lot of us, I think, were brought up. We don't, we don't take things from people. We always, if somebody does something for us, we have to give back, right? We have to return the favor. We don't want to be. We don't want to owe anyone. That's good. My mom says it's hard work. Becky says, it's become a Christian joke, but it feels like when you pray for growth or strength or joy, it seems like bad things happen. <laughs> so that you'll learn the lesson. So, so we don't pray because we don't want bad things to happen in our lives. Good. Any, any other reasons we don't pray? Hard to be vulnerable. Now, we have a hard time with that in relationship, and we don't, we don't want to be vulnerable to God. We don't want to admit that we have any weaknesses or anything that we need to grow in or the things we really struggle with, even though he already knows all the things we really struggle with, so we might as well just tell him, but good. Anything else? Yep, yeah. Fits in your will. Mm-hmm. To wrap us up, you know, I, I think for me one of the things that, that, that keeps me from praying is that a lot of the things that I've listed already are, are reasons I don't pray as much as I should pray. But one of the things I think that keeps me from praying is that I see in my, in my mind and in my world a way things should work out. Like I have an answer to the prayer, right? I have an answer to, to this prayer that I'm praying. And what I really want from God is not, is not for God to really be God, right? I don't want God to be in control. I'm not really asking for God to be the Lord of this situation or the Lord of my life. I'm asking him to answer my prayer with the answer that I'm praying for him to answer. And so, so many times in my life, what has happened is when I'm praying for God to do something, whether it's in my life or in someone else's life, God will will have an answer that just seems totally antithetical to the prayer that I'm praying. But then over time, you can see, well, well, the the prayer that I was praying was was really only like a, a little tiny baby step of a prayer and what this situation really called for over, over time. And so I'll stop praying because God doesn't give me the answer that I want, but he gives the answer that is needed for that situation. And, and, and in so many, so many ways, the best answer 
for that person or for me. The only thing I can really give to God is my life. That's what he asks. God doesn't need us. God is not dependent on us. Yes, he could accomplish everything if he wanted to just by saying, by speaking and having it be accomplished. I am not, I'm not a proponent of, uh, of the prosperity gospel and, and that, that God wants to you know, just give you every possible thing in your life. I know God wants to bless us, but I think God's blessings are much different than prosperity. I think the ways that God wants to bless us are far different than, than just money that he wants to give us in our lives. And in fact, some of the most blessed people on the planet are some of those who don't have hardly anything to their name. But God does want to bless us. That is, that is a part of his nature in Scripture. He wants to give us blessings. And he wants to use us to be a blessing to others. But almost all of this requires us to pray, to be faithful in prayer, to regularly pray to God so that we are in relationship with God, so that as we're walking humbly with God, we can know when God's voice is telling us to go here, or as Scripture says, you know, we can hear God's voice almost as a voice over our shoulder, go, go to the left or go to the right, go in this way. This is the way, walk in it. And, and God might lead us in that direction for a purpose that we can meet somebody's need that we haven't even met yet, or we can meet somebody's need that, that we know and, and they're waiting for God to answer a prayer and he wants to use us and he wants to answer a prayer that they've been praying for years and we've already got the answer and didn't even know it. And it's the same thing really for all of life is that we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. We have to deny ourselves daily. We have to take up our cross daily, which is loving our brothers and sisters sacrificially daily, and then we have to follow him wherever he wants to lead us. That is what prayer is for, is for God to to lead us where he wants us to go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the privilege that it is to speak to you. Thank you that through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that through his flesh we may enter into a new and living way into the holy of holies. What a privilege it is that all believers, the priesthood of all believers, now we have the ability to go into the holy place because of Jesus. If we've been settling for a second-hand faith and relying on the faith journey of other believers, I ask, Father, that you not only forgive us, but show us how you want us to be walking with you today. I pray, Father, that not only would we become a people of prayer at 6-8 Church, that we, would, that we would be people who pray, who are devoted to prayer, but that you would also give us the blessing and the benefit of seeing answers to prayer on a regular basis. That as a result of this time that we've spent studying prayer, as as a result of the time we're about to spend in prayer in weeks to come, that it would just become commonplace here for prayers to be answered. I pray, Father, that those that, that are here listening this morning or in this room or watching online and those prayer requests that they've been praying for a long time, I pray for those prayers that, that are really burdening our souls. I pray, Father, that you would 
that you would just shine some light into those situations. That when it feels like, like it's just darkness and overwhelming and we've been praying for years, maybe even decades, for you to move and answer a prayer. And while you may not yet be ready to answer, maybe you never will answer the way we want you to answer, I pray, Father, that you would just shine some light into that situation. That you would illuminate it with the light of your glory and your grace. That we'd be able to see you moving and working in that situation, even though it seems to us at the moment you're not answering. I pray, Father, give us a long view of faith when it comes to prayer. I pray that you help us to be obedient to those things that you lead us and prompt us to do, that we might be the answer to someone else's prayer this week. And that through all of this, you'll bring glory to yourself, glory to your son, as we seek to become more like him in this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.